the church struggles to engage in dialogue with those that are different than us. But I think, I think that I, I think that we should be upset about this. I really do. It should disturb us. And the reason is because apparently, and for a variety of reasons, collectively as Christians, we've, we've forgotten something very, very important. Very important. In Matthew 5.13, Jesus said of his followers... You are the salt of the earth. Now, salt is a distinct substance. It's different. If you get a, a mouthful of salt, you know that you've gotten it. Okay? Salt is, is a very specific and distinct substance. But it isn't very useful by itself, like in isolation. How does, how does salt find its purpose? Salt finds its purpose when it is applied to the things that surround it. It, it's, it enhances the things that it touches. That's how salt finds its purpose. And as followers of Jesus, we find our purpose as we season and enhance and engage with the world around us. Continuing in Matthew 5.13, Jesus said, But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. In light of the statistics that I shared earlier, I really think we're in danger here. I think we're in danger. But I'm an optimist. Like Winston Churchill, I don't see much use in being anything else. So we're going to tackle this head-on, this, this issue that's facing, facing the church, this tendency that we have. We're going to tackle this head-on. And we're starting a new sermon series today called Hard Conversations. So I believe that we can, we can do this, and we must do this. This is imperative for us. We must learn how to approach discussion about things that we're passionate about in a way that honors Jesus. What we're not going to do is we're not going to get down in the weeds by talking about specifics or particulars. That's not what we're after. What we are going to do is we're going to look at some broad principles. There's five of them, and we're calling them affirmations. And these affirmations are going to be like, like the rails on a train track or like our lane lines on a highway. And what they're going to do is they're going to give us parameters like lines we need to stay in when we're coloring. Our conversation, our engagement in these issues is like we're coloring a picture and we're going to try to stay within these lines. They're boundary lines that are going to keep us in the spiritually healthy zone as we engage with things that are difficult to talk about. Now what these affirmations are not going to do if we do our job well, they're not going to be a pat on the back for yours or my specific particular beliefs and opinions. Resist the urge to decide that this information, this, this topic, this concept is something that someone else needs to hear. Resist that urge with everything in you. I, I'm going to be really honest with you. Our goal in this series, in this message and the, and the several that will follow, I hope that we step on every set of toes that comes through these doors in the next five weeks. Every single one. 
including my own. Because we need this. We really do. We desperately need to be confronted with our own tendency. I don't know if you know this about yourself, but this is true of us as human beings. Here's what we do. We cling really tightly to the information that confirms what we already believe. We can spot that a mile away and we take that and we put it in our pile of this is why I'm right. And on the other hand, we have the tendency when we are confronted with information that challenges what we are so sure is true. And we dismiss that very easily. That's what we do. And everything about culture, everything about media, especially social media, everything in our culture is set up to make this easy for this to happen to us, for this dynamic to be where we live. I mean, you think about it. We watch whichever news channel favors our slant. And if we're not careful to include some of the other side, what are we getting? We're getting one side of a message. We like pages on Facebook that tell us what we want to hear. And we unfollow the ones that make us uncomfortable. I do it. I've tailored my news feed very carefully so that I am not upset when I'm on Facebook because it's supposed to be entertainment. So, like, I want to see pictures of kittens and, you know, birds doing funny things and stuff like that. So I've unfollowed, you know, most current event-ish things on Facebook because that's not the platform in which I want to experience that information. So, but we do that. We, we, we have the ability to edit our input that we receive. And we hang out with people that are just like us. We, we flock toward people that are the same. That's why that's a saying, birds of a feather flock together. That's what we do. And the Barner research reveals that. We're super uncomfortable to be around somebody that is very, very different than us, generally speaking, typically speaking. So we need the Holy Spirit to shake us up. We do. We all need this. We need him to wake us up, and we need him to help us with this because we want to get better. We want to learn how to do this. So you guys ready? Are you ready? <laughs> Nervous laughter. Here we go. Okay. A few months ago, we had this woman come through the mission. If you're not familiar, the mission is a nonprofit that's um, it's, it's, uh, operating in our basement. Uh, started out as an outreach of our church. It reaches out to the disadvantaged in the community, uh, serves them with some practical needs. So we've got free laundromat, shower, meals, and a safe place for them to hang out and get in and out of the weather. Um, so we have a wide variety of personalities represented um, in our patron base. So a few months ago, this woman came through, and sometimes this happens where one person that is different can just come in and just upset, like, the whole equilibrium. It's kind of like this little community and a family, and it gets into this routine where everything is kind of peaceful and smooth and whatever, and then, like, a new person comes in, and it's like, like a hand grenade in the middle of the place. And this happened with this woman. Luckily, she only ended up being there for a few days, but she was super dramatic, like really just really sassy. Like every time we turned around, she was into it with somebody else. Like not physically, but just like verbal, like nah, 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 just all the time. 
And finally, after she'd been there for about three days, one of our regulars came up to me and she said, oh, Miss Marie, I'm trying so hard to be good, but please, can you talk to that new girl? Because like, I can't take it anymore and I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm trying really hard to be good, follow the rules. Please, can you please do something about this woman? And so I pulled her aside. I pulled her aside and I launched into my, you know, I've got my spiel, my normal speech that I give. Okay, the mission is going to be a safe place for everybody. You know, we don't have a lot of rules, but the rules we have are not negotiable and respect is one of our rules and blah, 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 blah. I have my, my thing that I say. Well, that went in one ear and out the other. She wasn't having it. She started to kind of, you know how people that are real sassy, they kind of bob their head and she says, she's telling me all this stuff about, well, I was sitting over there in my corner and, and everybody keeps coming into my corner and they keep messing with me in my corner and I'm not going to have it in my corner. And she's bobbing her head at me like that. And I listened to her for just a minute, but finally I had to cut her off. And with my best mom voice that I probably haven't pulled out since Chrissy was like about eight years old and I wanted to pinch her precious little head off, my best mom voice, I said, listen, listen here, here's what you need to understand. You don't have any corners. You see all these corners in this room? They're my corners. That corner over there where you're sitting, that's my corner. And that corner over there where that other woman's sitting that you're into it with, that's my corner too. All the corners are my corners. And my corners, my rules. And in this case, my rule is that you will not argue with every single person in this room. You're going to stop if you want to continue to use my corner. My corners. You don't have any corners. Okay, so I think this encounter that I had with this woman, it really, humorous as it is, is a great snapshot of the dynamic of our first affirmation. God has all truth, but we don't have a perfect understanding of it. All the corners are God's corners. All of them. We don't have any corners. And we certainly don't have a corner on the truth. God has all truth, and we don't have a perfect understanding of it. That's affirmation number one. Two things are, per, are, are really important to notice about this affirmation. Number one, there is such a thing as truth. That's what everybody started getting nervous about when I started, right? There is such a thing as truth. In a culture where relativism is the rule of the day, part of the set-apartness of being kingdom people who do follow Jesus everywhere is that we acknowledge that truth is not whatever we want it to be. It's not. Truth exists, and it can be known. The Holy Spirit is working all the time to lead us into truth, into all truth. That's what Jesus promised us in John chapter 16. But the second thing to notice is that we, just like my two ladies in the mission, we'll struggle to see the big picture. We will because we are limited by our ability to perceive truth. We have to acknowledge with great humility that we are very human and we are very, very fallible. We will not understand perfectly. History is really practical here. 
especially church history, we see over and over and over, over centuries, Christians entrenched in positions that, from our vantage point, when we view them, they seem so clearly awful, clearly awful. We just can't even understand how people have have come to these conclusions, how people have engaged in these actions. It's hard to comprehend. And that, that's where we get that phrase, right? Um, the wrong side of history. From our spot here in the future, we, we have the benefit of all the information. We have the benefit of a healthy dose of time. And we think that it's very clear. It's very simple. We throw that phrase around today as a weapon with which to win arguments. Well, you don't want to be on the wrong side of history, do you? The problem with this, the problem is, is that most people in the moment, most people, they think they are right. They think they are on the right side of history. There are very few people in this world that set out with the intention of becoming supervillains or evil people. There's some, there are some, but very few. So, okay, now don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Do not mishear me today. Do not check out, okay? There are things I feel that way about. There are things that I feel that way about. Things that I look at and, and, and I just say, how could anyone, how could they think that? How could they do that? How could they say that? It's just incomprehensible to me. There are things that we are passionate about. How for the love of all that is good and holy in the world can humans act the way they act? Think the, think the things they think. But none of the corners are my corners. They're God's corners. He has all the truth. And I do not have a perfect understanding of it. 1 Corinthians 13 is commonly referred to as the love chapter. You've probably heard it at weddings. It's used at a lot of weddings, which is fine. It's a great chapter for weddings. Uh, but we can't forget the context of this chapter. The context of 1 Corinthians 13 is that Paul is talking to church people about how they ought to treat each other. That's the context of most of the New Testament, you know, by the way. So in all of our hard conversations, conversations, just keep that in the back of your mind somewhere that, you know, it's not a great practice to use the Bible to tell people who are outside of the Christian faith how they ought to behave. It's not a good practice, but that's a little bit of a digression. Anyway, as we read 1 Corinthians 13, uh, a lot of times we stop before we get to the end of the chapter because the first part is so good, but there's good stuff after all that love stuff. So listen to this. Verse 8 starts out, Love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. And where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. 
Verse 12, for now we see as a reflection in a mirror, and then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Now I know in part, now I know in part, then I will know fully. So what does this mean? What does this mean? Does this mean that we can't have opinions? Does it seem like that's what I'm saying? We can't have opinions. We can't face the issues. We can't pursue truth. No. No. A thousand times no. It would be a real tragedy if you walked away from the series and you were saying to yourself, oh my gosh, those people at the vineyard... They just want you to defer everything and concede everything and there's no truth and blah, blah, blah. That is not the takeaway here. It's not. The takeaway is that we should approach any and all discussions with graciousness. Graciousness toward our fellow human beings. And we should do that because we agree with God that he is the only one who can perfectly define truth. So, you guys feeling a little nervous? Feeling a little nervous, a little anxious inside? I can see some of your faces. I think you are. You're wondering where I'm going. Your brain's filled with, well, what about something? We've all got our own fill in the blank for that. What about this? Maybe you're thinking already about a specific cultural issue. Maybe you're afraid I'm going to ask you to change your mind about something that's really important to you. Well, first of all, if you're a little uncomfortable, that's good. That's good. That means I'm communicating well. Growth and comfort are not good companions. But I am a compassionate person. So I don't want to leave you squirming too long. I'm going to give you a little something just really small. It's going to take the edge off here. Okay? Listen closely. I'm going to give you permission to do something. You are still allowed to think someone else is wrong. You're still allowed. It's okay. It's okay if you have an opinion. It's okay if something's important to you. It's okay if you think that the person you disagree with is just utterly and completely and ridiculously wrong. Does that help a little bit? Does that help a little bit? You're welcome. You're welcome. Okay, so what's the point then? What's the point if we agree? Fine. We agree. God has all truth. Fine. We agree that we don't understand it perfectly, but we also agree that it's okay to have opinions, it's okay to think that other people are wrong. So what in the world? What am I asking you to do then? What am I asking you to do other than just roll some abstract nonsense around in your brain? What am I asking you to do? I'm going to ask you to do three very concrete and practical things when you are confronted with a person that you disagree with about any issue. I, we're framing this a lot in terms of cultural issues, but just as a little aside, like this approach, this framework for things is super helpful in all of our relationships. 
It could be about how your spouse puts the cap back on the toothpaste and you're just like, how can you not understand that you squeeze it from the bottom and what is wrong with you? Well, they don't want, you know, all of the stripes mixed together, so they squeeze it from the middle so they have pure stripes in their toothpaste, you know. It's really practical in any relationship to, to cultivate the ability to engage in things that are frustrating to us. So anyway, first thing I'm going to ask you to do is stop thinking that our goal is to convince someone that they're wrong. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter what it is. Maybe you are wrong. Maybe you're both a little bit right. Maybe you're both a little bit wrong. Maybe they are completely wrong. Wrong, 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 wrong. It doesn't matter. You guys, it doesn't matter. Either way, just stop. Stop it. If that's our starting point, if that's the first priority, is that we're going to crush their opinion and we're going to convince them that they're wrong, we are cutting off the possibility of knowing and understanding that other person. We're cutting off the possibility of a deeper relationship. That cannot be our starting point. And by the way, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. You guys seen this? This is amazing. Like, that's a fake chart. That's a Facebook meme. That's not a real thing. Um, I don't know if you can read the little words, but it's like outcome of arguments. It's all red because nobody changes their mind and everybody is upset. It's a fake chart, but they've done real studies about this stuff, lots of them. I was just reading an article this morning about, you know, a new one that's, that's come out. But basically, when two sides are brought together and they're, they're, they're told to, like, aggressively try to promote their, their position, it turns out that it doesn't matter how strong the evidence is. The two parties go away from the exercise just more firmly entrenched in whatever it was that they believed. Because it just sets up this di defensive dynamic that it's, it's, it's impossible. It's impossible to gain understanding. It doesn't work. It's not our goal. What does Proverbs say? Proverbs says in uh, chapter 18, verse 19, a brother wronged is more unyielding than a fortified city. And disputes are like the barred gates of a citadel. Oh, that imagery there. We set up our defensive postures and nobody's getting through that. Nobody's getting through that. Well, Proverbs 15, one says, a gentle answer, what does that do? Gentle answer turns away wrath. Harsh words stir up anger. So practical action number two is stop it. Just stop. Stop trying to convince people that they're wrong so they'll change their mind. That's not a helpful framework in relationship. Number two is related, but just going to take it a little bit of a step further. Try to imagine a world in which the other person is actually right. Try to imagine a world in which the other person is actually right. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. She's done it now. Groan. Oh, this is so hard to do. It's so hard to do because we would not think the thing that we think if we didn't think the other thing was wrong, right? This is so hard. That's why we use the word imagine. Use your imagination, okay? 
And you can do this. I know you can do this. We can all do this. Okay, you know when I learned how to do this? It was seventh grade. Seventh grade. Seventh grade English class, to be specific. We learned how to write something in English class called a persuasive essay. And one of the elements of a good persuasive essay, or speech, or whatever it is, is to be able to articulate the opposing viewpoint. It sounds like this. In the essay, it sounds like, some people think this about this topic, but actually, blah, 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 whatever. That's, that's the phraseology in there. But that mental exercise of wrapping your mind around the reasons for the other person's perspective is very helpful. It's very helpful. Really, really try to put yourself in that other person's shoes and in their head, even if that makes your head feel like it's going to explode. Imagine how they have arrived at this conclusion. And be genuine about this. Don't be like a toddler. You know how toddlers are? You ask them questions and they're like, they know you're trying to lead them in a certain direction and so they're like real obstinate. I think they arrived at this conclusion because they are stupid. (laughs) Don't do that. Don't do that. Really do the work here. Start from the place of assuming good intentions on the other person's part. You can do this. I believe in you guys. Number three, choose to view people in three dimensions. Are you more than the sum of your opinion on one particular issue? Would you say that's true of yourself? It's true of everybody else too. We are more than the sum of our opinions. That other person's opinion on a particular issue, that is not the whole story about who they are. Even if we can come to the conclusion, the only conclusion we can come to is that they're seriously misguided. That still should not prevent us. It doesn't have to prevent us from loving that person, from valuing them, and from knowing them. The only way that we can learn how to do that is to learn how to listen. At the last uh, Vineyard National Conference, every two years, all of the churches gather together for one big conference just to be together and just sort of, you know, check in the health of the movement and, and hear some of the issues of the day, those kind of things. Uh, the last one happened in 2017. It was called Together Leaning Outward. And there were a series of speakers that addressed some pretty, pretty serious, pretty difficult to engage in topics that are facing you know, culture today and in the church and things. There were some things that were a little bit even difficult to listen to, kind of like the sermon probably is for some of you. (laughs) But our national director, his name is Phil Strout, and and he, he was the last keynote speaker. And he challenged those of us in the vineyard to pray for the gift of listening. Because sometimes it's really hard for us to do that on our own, and we need the Holy Spirit's help to do that. So, so Phil encouraged us all to pray for the gift of listening. To know people, you must be willing to enter into their experiences. You have to allow them to tell their own story. 
So we have to learn how to listen. We have to get better at this. If we'll do those three things, stop making it our goal to convince other people that they're wrong, start trying to imagine why they believe the things they do, and choose to see people in three dimensions, then I think we'll be well on our way to improving the way that we engage in these kinds of hard conversations.